No, you. We are y'all talk with a southern accent. We're having a party in here today. Hopefully, you're ready to get your weekend started a little earlier than we normally do. Yeah, it is talk with a southern accent. I'm John Rawl. Good to have all y'all here for this Thursday program. We've got so much good stuff coming your way. I tell you that each and every day, but it is just absolutely the truth. I cannot tell a lie. As my grandfather and father often say, and I'm going to go ahead and repeat it here. I'm keeping the family tradition going here. I try to try to be honest with you here on the y'all show. And the way I kind of set it up here is, you know, George Washington, he, he couldn't tell a lie. Well, y'all, I can tell a lie, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. So there you have it little humor to get your thursday y'all show up and going what do we have in store today we've got a lot of headlines from governors in the southeast potential governors people announcing they're going to be running for their state governor position i'll have info on that here in our headlines of the south as we get going also a really awful bizarre story coming from texas where in the dallas area a man was forced to get tattoos before he was killed, like a torture-type deal going on in Texas. We'll tell you about that on our headlines of today's Y'all Show. Also, we'll let you know about, speaking of murders, an update on the murder case of the gentleman who killed Michael Jordan's father back in 1993. An update from North Carolina on that. Jacksonville, school board there, renaming six schools that were named after Confederate officers. But they didn't rename a school after a slave owner, for some reason, that was not a Confederate. Now, I'll have information on that here on today's Y'all Show. Selma, Alabama, the stretch of highway from Selma to Montgomery, is part of an endangered list, and I'll explain later this hour. And Tupelo, some idiot stole a sign at Elvis Presley's birthplace in North Mississippi. I'll have information on that here on today's Y'all Show. We do have some positive stories, and that's one of the big things we like to talk about here on the Y'all Show, including in Georgia, a police officer buying toothpaste for a homeless man. This homeless man did not have really good toothpaste. He was using baking soda. Police officer goes out and gets him some toothpaste. How about that? And then we also have coming on today's headlines from across the southeast, the Goldbergers are heading to Israel. That's right. Herman and Bobby Goldberger from Memphis, they have been publishing the Hebrew Watchman in Memphis since 1970. They took this newspaper over from his father. This is nearly a century-old newspaper that serves the Jewish community of Memphis in the Mid-South. And as a reward for their long service of publishing Hebrew Watchman, the Goldbergers got a round-trip ticket to Israel, somewhere they'd always wanted to go. And they're being honored for their service to the Memphis and Mid-South Jewish community. We'll have information on the Goldbergers here on today's Y'all Show. Plus, we also have coming today lots of sports information. Coach K is calling it quits. As he announced this on Wednesday, Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski, after, gosh, 40 years leading the Duke Blue Devils, stepping aside, a replacement has already been named for the ACC basketball dynasty. We'll have information on that. 
Also, out of the ACC, we have a disturbing story. A Virginia Tech football player now is accused of murder, and we'll explain in our headlines of the sports world. Plus, a national championship for a team from California in men's golf. They beat out the Oklahoma Sooners for the men's national golf championship. Also, softball's World Series taking place in Oklahoma here this weekend. I'll have the breakdown of the teams from the South participating in the road to Oklahoma City as part of our sports headlines of today's Y'all Show. Then we have, later this hour, our SEC update. We're going to hear from three of the baseball coaches that will be steering their SEC programs into the road to Omaha. Yeah, we've got the LSU head coach who is retiring. It was just announced Paul Maneri will be stepping aside when his team ends their run here in 2021. And guess what? I think they're going to have a long run. LSU coach Paul Maneri will have audio from him as his Tigers get ready to head to Oregon for a regional this weekend. We also have the head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, some audio from him, Tim Corbin, his team getting to stay at home and start the postseason against the Presbyterian Blue Hose. Information from Vanderbilt here in our SEC report. And lastly, what was the best team in the SEC East this year in college baseball? It would be the Tennessee Vols, and Tony Vitello is going to be on helping us preview his team's hosting for the first time in about 15 years on Rocky Top. All of that coming as part of our SEC report. Plus, big news for Dan Mullen. He gets an extension, so he's going to be hanging around Gainesville for quite some time. And other news and notes from the Southeastern Conference. It's our Thursday SEC report here on the Y'all Show. It's coming your way later this hour, plus a little hashtag hullabaloo fun. Also, on today's Y'all Show, we've got entertainment headlines coming from throughout Hollywood and the rest of the country. Included with that is some of the top streaming options for the month of June. If you want to go check out Netflix or Apple Plus or Disney Plus, whatever all the streaming options are, you can find out what's going on. We'll tell you in our entertainment headlines. Plus, we will check in in Nashville for our Nashville report. And Randy Travis, this year marks the 35th, I think it is, 35th anniversary of the release of Storms of Life, his debut. And we're going to be playing one of the great Randy Travis songs to get us set up for that segment here in this y'all show and then we'll tell you about dolly parton we found out what she did this last year during the coronavirus pandemic what did old dolly do and i mean that in a, an affectionate way o-l-e old dolly what did dolly do there in her nashville area home for the last year i'll fill that in with you here in our nashville music report in hour two we also have an accent on business coming your way in the second hour hour three today oh we're gonna have a lot of fun it's gonna be courtesy of huffpost.com have y'all seen some of the fun stuff they do they have an article up called the funniest marriage tweets and i have called some of those and i will share with you our three some of the funniest marriage tweets if you have a loved one a marriage and you constantly tweet back at each other or text back at each other we have stolen courtesy of huffpost.com some of the funniest tweets we'll share that our number three plus before we get out of here today we're going to walk through a list of a bunch of great festivals taking place throughout the southeast here this weekend including in plymouth north carolina the north carolina black bear festival that's got a bunch of stuff going on i'll let you know what all that includes in tuscumbia alabama this weekend it's the north alabama african heritage festival you can go check that out 
Welburn, Florida, the Blueberry Festival is going on down there this weekend. And Harlan, Kentucky, don't forget, you got the Poke Salad Festival in Harlan this weekend. We'll tell you about all those and much more as we get you ready for the weekend's festivals across the southeast and our southern travel report. I am John Rawl. Our number is 803-816-1170. You can call. You can text that number anytime you feel like it. And let us know what's going on in your portion of the southeast. 803-816-1170. Our website is y'all.com. It's the best four-letter word there is. Y-A-L-L.com. Check it out. It is the homepage of the south. And we are adding more and more stuff there each and every day and we're excited about that we're excited that the y'all show gets posted at y'all.com every single day so encourage you to go there check it out and in addition to being posted at y'all.com this show all about the southeast is available in podcast form at a couple of different places you can go into apple Podcasts. that's the little purple icon if you've got an apple phone or ipad little purple icon search for y'all show and boom right there we are you can set it up where you can get that thing downloaded to you each and every day you don't even have to do any thinking and it'll be right there the y'all show on apple podcast we're also available in the iheart radio app the tune in radio app and stitcher so those are great ways for you to share and keep up with what's going on in the y'all world and we also we got a favor to ask if you don't mind if you like what we're doing and you've got friends who also are big fans of the Southeast or maybe some fans who want to study up on the South and get to know what's going on here in this part of the world, please let them know about our show, and please let them know that they can go to y'all.com and catch up with our show. They can go to all those podcast options that I just mentioned. We really do try to do a unique, fun show, and and it's great, and I really appreciate everybody who's listening and, and people who are talking about the show. We just need to grow you know, there's something called kudzu growing right now, and we got to be like kudzu and just kind of take over, and we need y'all's help to do that. So thank you for tuning in. Let's get started with our show here on this Thursday. First up, big news, a royal get-together for President Joe Biden. Queen Elizabeth is going to welcome Joe Biden, the president, to Windsor Castle in just a few days, June 13th. Joe Biden will be across the pond and in Buckingham Palace. The monarch's meeting with Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will come during the president's visit to the UK for the upcoming G7 summit. And that begins two days earlier. So roughly a week from now, Joe Biden will be making his first international trip as president. I think I'm right on that. He really hasn't gone many places at all here in this country since he took over January 20th. Other than going to Delaware, I can think that he went to Michigan one day, he went to Louisiana and a handful of other places. He hasn't necessarily checked his luggage too often during his now, gosh, what's it been, almost five months that he's been president of the United States? Yeah, it will be the Queen's first major meeting with a world leader since the death of her husband, Prince Philip, back in April. And it comes a year after in which most of her in-person engagements were ended up canceling because of the coronavirus pandemic. Queen Elizabeth, 95-year-old Queen Elizabeth, has met with every American president except Lyndon Baines Johnson. I don't know what happened that he didn't have a chance to meet her. I'd love to meet her. In fact, I was riding around town the other day, and I saw somebody with a circa 1990 little small pickup truck. Uh, It's it's a 30-year-old truck, and so I'm assuming whoever's driving it may not be the wealthiest person in the world. 
And I'm also going to assume this person that I saw driving this truck is not from Great Britain. And do you know what this person's got over on the right-hand side of their back shield window? A cutout of Queen Elizabeth. Pretty neat. Pretty neat to see that here in the southeast, at least. Maybe they are a subject. Maybe they're from over there originally. I haven't met the person. Don't know what they look like, but they, they're proud to ride with Queen Elizabeth here in 2021. But Biden and the Queen getting together soon at Buckingham Palace. Now to some state political news. Nikki Freed has announced that she wants to be the governor of Florida. She is the only statewide elected Democrat in the Sunshine State. The Miami native is currently Florida's agriculture commissioner. And she is going to try to run and beat Ron DeSantis in 2022. Now, she's got some competition on the Democratic primary. Charlie Crist, remember him? He was once the governor of Florida back some 10, 15 years ago and has been a U.S. representative representing the Tampa area. Crist and Nikki Freed will have to go up against each other in a Democratic primary. And there may be others who join in on the fun. But right now, DeSantis and it looks like Nikki Freed may be contesting against each other for the governor of Florida in 2022. Now, DeSantis is already coming out saying that that Nikki Freed is a lockdown lobbyist. I assume before becoming agriculture commissioner, Nikki Freed was a lobbyist in Tallahassee, most likely. But he's also referencing the fact that she was one of the people, as Clay Travis would have called them, corona bros, people who wanted to shut down everything. And so DeSantis firing back that Nikki Freed is a a lockdown lobbyist. We'll find out what happens there. But, yes, I think she's going to be well-funded. And she is, like I said, the only statewide elected Democrat in the entire state of Florida right now in a state that went for President Trump. And even before the 2020 presidential election, she was really had an uphill climb to even get any kind of attention since the state had become so Republican, at least from a state legislature standpoint to Columbia, South Carolina, and a woman is trying to become the first black woman to ever become the governor of the Palmetto State. State Senator Mia McLeod, who is from the Columbia area, has announced that she's going to be trying to become the next governor of South Carolina. Right now, Henry McMaster, also known as Foghorn Leghorn in the state of South Carolina, McLeod wants to become the Palmetto State's next governor, as she had a official or she's having an official campaign launch today she says it's a tremendous responsibility but it's one that i'm excited about in her effort to become south carolina's first black woman governor and the first to ever run actually not just to be elected to run she's 52 years old her hometown is bennettsville south carolina and that's about 100 miles northeast of columbia in marlboro county south carolina tobacco country is where she is from, and she thinks that she can help rural counties in the state of South Carolina. And again, Henry McMaster will be her opponent or other people perhaps on the Democratic primary side when that election happens in the future. McMaster is not a spring chicken. Henry McMaster is, I'm going to say, around 75 years old. And so with her being 52 years old, it'll be quite a difference not only in gender and race but also age assuming McLeod gets to be the nominee of the Democratic primary uh, party in South Carolina. To Alabama and some governor's news coming out of the heart of Dixie on Wednesday. Kay Ivey, also in her 70s, 
the Auburn alumna announcing that she is running for re-election in 2022. Remember, she became governor of Alabama after her predecessor, I think she was the lieutenant governor, and the guy, Robert Bentley, that's going back a few years. Yeah, Robert Bentley had to leave office in embarrassment after some scandal was going on. And so she took over as governor in April of 2017, and now she wants to become reelected as she did get elected to a full term back in 2018, making her the second woman and the first Republican woman to ever be elected in the state of Alabama. And here I'm going to show off my Alabama knowledge. I know who the first woman governor of Alabama was. Do you? If you do, hit me up, 803-816-1170. And if you are the first person to tell me who that first woman governor, and don't cheat, don't use Google if you get that, uh, in fact, I'm going to make you require. I'm going to require you to tell me who the governor was and where she was from. That's the that's the big twist here. If you know that, eight zero three eight one six eleven seventy. We'll we'll send something nice your way. But yeah, Kay Ivey now seeking to become reelected to the heart of Dixie as they get ready for their statewide elections in twenty twenty two. One more state political news to tell you about. This one's a little bit unusual in today's world. The state of Tennessee is going to hold a year-long tax-free holiday for gun safety equipment. The tax-free holiday begins July 1st at midnight, and it runs through June of 2022. Again, for the first time ever, the Volunteer State holding a sales tax holiday exclusively for gun safety equipment. That's not a bad idea. The sales tax holiday follows the enactment of Tennessee's new permitless carry bill, which was signed into law by Governor Bill Lee in April. So I guess anything that will help keep your gun safe and or protect others, and I don't know what all that includes, but if you're into guns, you likely know what I'm talking about. You will not be taxed when you go buy gun safety equipment now in the state of Tennessee. I wonder if that applies to people from outside of Tennessee. I'm sure some of this stuff can become very very expensive. In fact, I think one of the items that you can now get tax-free in Tennessee are vaults. And there's some expensive gun safes, gun vaults out there. Some of them are built like a tank. And and so now, no tax on that. So that's a pretty smart plan, if you ask me. Anything to keep anybody innocent from being killed or accidentally wounded is a good thing. And Tennessee seems to be on the up and up with this passage of this new law and this new tax-free issue going on starting July 1st. To Texas, a disturbing story out of Arlington. A man forced to get tattoos before he was killed. Five suspects now involved and under arrest, including the victim's girlfriend, in this bizarre crime out of Arlington, Texas. A 22-year-old man killed after he was forced to get a tattoo of his girlfriend's name on his neck and then a separate tattoo on his back was inked out, according to police. Five people, including that girlfriend involved in this bizarre crime, four of them have been arrested. The saga started in February when a man named Jonas Alashani was visiting his girlfriend's Arlington apartment for a late-night tattoo session, according to arrest warrants, and it kind of went down from hill, from, downhill from there. He was ultimately found by highway workers, near State Highway 360 and Harwood Road in Euless, Texas. He had been shot once in the neck, according to the Tarrant County Medical Examiner. 
But forced to get a tattoo right before you're being killed, that's absolute brutal. And that comes to us from the state of Texas. West Virginia is now offering guns as prizes in a COVID vaccine lottery. We're not going to offer guns as prizes here on the Y'all Show, but that's not a bad idea for all of you gun lovers. The Mountain State must, if you're there in the Mountain State, you must get your first vaccine shot to even be eligible. But we've seen the speculation that the president and the administration, Joe Biden, thinking about giving a pack of Budweiser to people who get vaccinated. And West Virginia saying, well, we can do one better than that. West Virginians who get the COVID-19 vaccine can be entered into a drawing to win prizes, and those prizes include firearms and a million dollars. Jim Justice, the governor in Charleston, announced Tuesday this initiative by the state government to boost inoculation efforts. I think West Virginia is one of the worst states in the country right now for vaccinations. And so if you're a West Virginian and you've been looking for either a million dollars or a gun, you can help your case out by getting registered and and not only getting registered, getting getting your vaccine. In fact, 51% of West Virginia residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And that's a little bit better than the national figure of 50%. So I, I guess they're looking for perfection and West Virginia getting a little proactive in their effort to get people vaccinated here as we are about to reach the halfway point of 2021, and we'll find out what's going on there. One more newsy story before we switch over to sports news here in this first hour of the Y'all Show. A parole commission in North Carolina is now pushing back a scheduled release date for a man convicted in murdering Michael Jordan's father. Do y'all remember that back in 1993? It was a murder that happened right on the North Carolina-South Carolina border in a very rural section of both states. And there's even an IMDb original sort of documentary about it called Moment of Truth. Well, one of the two men convicted in that 1993 murder of Mr. Jordan will have to wait at least another year before getting an opportunity at parole as the North Carolina Post-Release Supervision and Parole Commission announced Wednesday that Larry M. Demery, will be released now August 6th of 2024, changing that date by a full year. Last summer, after denying Demery's parole twice, the commission had announced that he would be released on parole on August 6th of 2023. Mr. Demery and Daniel Andre Green, convicted in 1996 of murder and had been serving life sentences for the murder of Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan, They are eligible for parole because of the sentencing laws in effect in North Carolina at the time that that happened. And sure enough, James Jordan disappeared on his way from a funeral in Wilmington, which is a town that Michael Jordan grew up partially uh, in his life. He was on his way from a funeral near to his home near Charlotte in July 1993, but his family did not immediately report him missing I think he had pulled off to take a nap is what happened. A body was ultimately found in a swamp in South Carolina 11 days later and not identified as James Jordan until his Lexus was found abandoned and vandalized in some woods in Fayetteville, North Carolina, two weeks later. So it did involve both states, and and this was right at the time that Jordan had gone off to play baseball in the summer of 1993. It was just a, a very awful time for the Jordan family and because Jordan was such a superstar at that time, it was a national story. And now all these years later, nearly 30 years later, a man convicted in that murder is going to be released in the year 2024.
23, I think is what I said. We have more headlines. We'll get to them as we move along on today's Y'all Show. But when we come back, stay with us because after the break, we're going to switch over and talk a lot about sports. We won't, won't be talking about the Tar Heels. We'll be talking about the Duke Blue Devils. Mike Shiseski, the coach of Duke, saying he's going to step down after this forthcoming year, and his replacement has already been announced. Also out of the ACC, a Virginia Tech football player accused of murder. Oh, my goodness. We'll have information on that, plus a little college golf news, and we'll get you set on the NBA playoffs. Some teams from the South are happy, and some, their season is over. All that information coming up next on The Y'all Show. Well, this is the second day in a row we have played the Duke Blue Devil fight song here on today's Y'all Show. We played it in our ACC report on Wednesday because the baseball team of the Devils got the ACC baseball championship in Charlotte over the weekend, and they head off to the college baseball playoffs. Well, big news Wednesday for Duke basketball. Coach K, Mike Chesesky, say that a thousand times, has announced that he's going to step down after this forthcoming basketball season, a replacement has been named. That's big news in college basketball. This is the Y'all Show. It is now time for our Southern Sports update of what's going on across Southern Sports here on this Thursday Y'all Show. And yeah, Duke deciding after all the years that he's been at Durham and being the head coach of this ACC dynasty, Mike Krzyzewski, who was a college basketball player himself at West Point and of course was tied in to Bobby Knight there at West Point, the coach now retiring after this season, John Shire, named as his successor. And that's a name that, if you know anything about college basketball, he played for Coach K, but there's been so many big players in Durham throughout the last 40 years. I don't even remember him playing because I, I don't really follow Duke basketball that closely. But this guy had been evidently maybe the heir apparent to the winningest coach in Division One men's basketball history, Mike Krzyzewski, and he's retiring after 41 seasons. He made the announcement on Wednesday. He said in a statement, my family and I view today as a celebration. Our time at both West Point and Duke has been beyond amazing, and we are thankful and honored to have led two college basketball programs at world-class institutions for more than four years decades and that of course coupled with 11 unforgettable years at as the U.S. national team coach has resulted in a remarkable journey certainly I have been blessed to coach some of the finest young men and greatest players in basketball history as a direct result of those unique opportunities that from coach K again John Shire the associate head coach at Duke who played from 2006 to 2010 will become the successor after the 2021-22 season wraps. And he will spend this season as coaching wedding, taking over at the conclusion of the year. Now, Shire said, Duke has been a central part of my life for more than a decade, and I could not ask for a better place to continue my career. This is absolutely humbling, Shire said. Coach K has built the premier program in our sport thanks to his unwavering competitive edge, a tireless attention to detail, 
a family-first approach, and a remarkable compassion and care of his players, coaches, and staff. Coach K has set a standard that every coach at every level should strive to achieve. There you have it. Duke with a regime change at the coaching level. Now, I'm a little surprised this hire of the replacement to Coach K essentially was already a done deal. I am a little amazed that Duke did not have to go through a hiring process, an interview process. You've got some great Duke alumni out there that could have been the head coach, including Harvard's current coach, Tommy Amaker, a Duke alum, and I think has done a pretty good job at Harvard. He would be a possible replacement for the 74-year-old coach. Then you also have people like, let's see, Jason Tatum, I think he was a, a person that could have been a replacement as well. There's just a lot of Duke people out there. And and Tatum may not necessarily be the best choice, but there's not just Duke Dukies who could have come in, but this is a premier job. I, I don't have the stats, but I think Duke has maybe won as many national championships as any other program in college basketball in the last 30 years. Not throughout history, I guess another team that wears blue would beg to differ but in the last 30 years duke has won their fair share of titles something really weird because duke's always been pretty good at basketball going way back to the 50s and 60s and i know they had a guy named bill foster as their coach one time that did pretty well for them and and that i guess he was the coach just before coach k came in bill foster and and Duke just was always second fiddle to the team eight miles down the road in Chapel Hill. Well, Coach K changed that. And he did it with a an arena that seats around 6,000 people. It's not the biggest one going. It's a private school, an elite private school, and it has to be somewhat hard to recruit a young person to come to Durham and play college basketball. But he was hired there in March of 1980. And he's won national championships in 1991, which, by the way, I saw his Duke Blue Devils play in person that first year that they won in 1991. I guess that would be the Christian Leitner era, I think. 91, he won in 92. He won in 2001. He won in 2010 and 2015. So what's that? One, two, three, four, five. Five national championships in his career. Not a bad feat. And as I said, he is the winningest coach in Division I men's basketball history and one of just six coaches to reach 900 career victories. Mike Krzyzewski with 1,170 wins to his credit, and that number is only going to go up here in his final season. That number is about 1,200 or about a, uh, 130 games more roughly than the person in second place. And this person in second place is still coaching and is still coaching in the ACC as Syracuse coach Jim Boeheim. Bo- Jim Boeheim is number two on this list as he has surpassed Jim Calhoun, the longtime Connecticut coach, in third place. Roy Williams, who just retired, is fourth in terms of wins. Roy Williams had one more win than Bob Knight of Indiana and Texas Tech fame and West Point fame, too. No, you know, I don't think he coached at West Point. He coached at Ohio. Wait, he played at Ohio State and coached at West Point. That's what uh, it gets a little confusing. But he's got that connection to, of course, of course, Coach Chesky. Bob Huggins, the Cincinnati slash West Virginia coach, 
is also in the 900 win total. We wish Coach Mike Krzyzewski all the best as he moves into retirement. Remember, he's had some health problems through the years. He had to sit out most of one year because of a back issue, I think it was, and now retiring after all these seasons. He had, he's had 15 30-win seasons in his career in Durham, so we wish him all the best. Now, the news not so happy at another ACC institution as a football player for Virginia Tech, Issei Utete, has been arrested and charged with second-degree murder and now being held without bond, according to the Blacksburg, Virginia Police Department. In a statement on its website, BPD said it responded to a welfare check on Tuesday night finding a deceased male victim. Detectives determined the death a homicide and arrested Utete on Wednesday. He's now being held in the Montgomery County, Virginia jail virginia tech releasing a statement that this football player had been immediately suspended from the team and from the university utete a three-star recruit by espn he's an outside linebacker from virginia beach and was the 29th ranked recruit in virginia and he turned down offers from nc state virginia and vanderbilt to become an early enrollee at virginia tech he participated in spring practice and was in competition for a reserve role at linebacker. So he is not a star player. He's not ever played for Virginia Tech. He is essentially a freshman at the Blacksburg campus, but he's no longer a part of the team, nor is he part of the university at this point, as he's now charged with murder. Disturbing story uh, for sure coming out of Blacksburg here this week. To the NBA, and we've got some teams moving on like the Atlanta Hawks, and we've got some teams who've packed their bags and are moving out. That includes the Memphis Grizzlies. On Wednesday in the association, the 76ers defeated the Wizards, and Philadelphia moves on as they win that series 4-1. The Atlanta Hawks move on. They got the 103-89 victory over the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Atlanta, way to go. Hawks with 41 wins to their credit thus far this year, and now Atlanta's NBA franchise advances in the NBA playoffs. The Utah Jazz had an easy time of it against the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Jazz win 126-110 to 110 in Utah on Wednesday. Memphis's season comes to an end. And the Dallas Mavericks pulled a little bit of a shocker. They went out to Tinseltown, and they defeated the L.A. Clippers on Wednesday, 105-100. The Mavs now take a 3-2 series lead in that NBA playoff from the Western Conference side of the bracket. What's on tap in the NBA here on this Thursday? Tune in to TNT in Portland tonight. You've got the Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets. That series currently led by Denver. Denver with a 3-2 advantage. They can clinch the playoff here with a win against the Blazers on this Thursday evening. And then another one worth tuning in because it would be funny to see the Lakers go down in flames if you're not a lover of the Lakers. The Lakers are on the uh, edge and the Suns can push them off the edge if they'd like to. It's the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers from Staples Center. This will be TNT. They'll have the call. It'll be broadcast from Los Angeles at 1030 Eastern, 930 Central. It is game number six. And Phoenix has the 3-2 lead in that series right now. Pepperdine has won the 2021 Men's Golf Championship. Now, this very prestigious college from California, the Waves, with a big national championship in men's golf. We told you last week on this program that the Mississippi Land Sharks won the women's golf championship, the first national championship in the history of the state of Mississippi, at least for the FBS level schools. And now for the men's side, Pepperdine wins the Division I 
Men's Golf Championship, a young golfer from Clemson won the national championship from an individual standpoint. Pepperdine gets the victory. I think it was Oklahoma who they squared off with in Arizona to win this national championship on Wednesday. Now you got women's softball. They're having their national championship at USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And that begins today. You can tune in at lunchtime if you're lucky and see Oklahoma, the number one seed, and the Dukes of James Madison, other teams in it. And there's a large Southern presence, and we love that. So you got the Big 12's Oklahoma Sooners. James Madison takes on OU, James Madison out of the CAA. The Georgia Bulldogs from the SEC and Oklahoma State also getting together and that game mid-afternoon, dogs and the number six-seeded Oklahoma State Cowboys. So both Oklahoma schools playing right there in OKC for the national championship. Sadly, they're going to have to end up facing off against each other if they are able to advance. So there won't be an OU-OSU national championship game for all of you in the Sooner State. Other teams in the softball World Series, you got the Alabama Crimson Tide, the SEC champs. They're there as the number three seed. They begin their play this Thursday evening at 7 Eastern on ESPN. The Tide and the Arizona Wildcats in the softball World Series. And then lastly, you've got UCLA, which has been a dynasty in women's softball. UCLA will be taking on the Florida State Seminoles in a late game from Oklahoma City. And that is what is happening in the world of women's college softball, which I don't think there's any men's college softball, so I can just say softball period is what's going on in okc this week now we're not done with the sports when we come back speaking of the road to places like oklahoma city we've got an update on the road to omaha as we'll hear from a couple of coaches in the sec that are omaha bound at least they hope they are plus an informational update on dan mullen it is our sec report it's coming up next on y'all talk with a southern accent Chomping our way through a Thursday y'all show, an accent on the South. That's what we do. I'm John Rawl, and this is our SEC report. How about them Gators? Woo! Orange and Blue is the song you're hearing there. And you can hear that a lot right now in Gainesville, at least at Dan Mullen's house, because the coach of the Gators has received a three-year contract extension through the 2026 season. And that now raises his annual salary to about what I'm making, I have to confess, $7.6 million a year. So welcome to the club, Dan Mullen. The new annual salary will make him the third highest paid coach in 2021 in the SEC behind Alabama coach Nick Saban. Saban making $9.1 million. LSU coach, oh, 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 Coach O, Ed Orgeron, $8.7 million for the fiery Cajun but now Dan Mullen, $7.6 million a year, a little bit more than he was making in Stark Vegas. So congratulations to the Florida coach as he had a, 
I think a pretty good season last year, other than a shoe flying there in the end of the season that could have maybe led them if that had not happened to the SEC championship. And and and, and they did make it to the game, but they could have possibly won that and had a, a chance to compete for a national championship. And they they performed well in that SEC championship game. They they gave the tide a little bit more than they planned on. But now Dan Mullen being rewarded for the effort, he's just got to get that program across the finish line and back to the SEC title because that's not what Gator fans want is to lose an SEC championship. They've been spoiled. A guy named Steve Spurrier spoiled the Jort Nation, and it is time for them to get back to titles in the swamp. LSU says that James Craig is out as LSU's offensive line coach. Announced this on Wednesday as there was no reason given for the offensive line coach's departure. And that leaves LSU searching for a new coach when there is a lot of uh, a lot of people have their jobs ready to go. They've already moved into their homes. They're ready for the new season. So I'm not sure what this guy did or how he ticked off Coach Orgeron, but sure enough, he's out as the LSU Tigers offensive line coach. And the recruiting dead period, by the way, was just lifted on Tuesday. Maybe that was part of the reason why Craig was let go. He joined LSU staff in 2018 and has 20 years of experience coaching college football and NFL football. LSU coach Orgeron said he will immediately begin a national search for Craig's replacement. Craig, by the way, is spelled C-R-E-G-G if you want to do a quick Google on this guy. But a coaching change within the LSU Tigers, and they're going to have to make some changes because last year was a basically a 500 year when they played just SEC ball and with the quarterback changes and more there at Tiger Stadium they have got to get there talking about pressure coach Orgeron if he doesn't perform this year even though he won a national championship in 2019 LSU fans just like Florida fans aren't going to put up with mediocrity they want championships the Georgia Bulldogs are trying to get a SEC championship again and to help the effort they've added a former LSU Tiger. Eric Gilbert is a tight end for LSU, or was, and now he is transferring from the west to the east and will be part of Kirby Smart's program. Gilbert, the number one tight end and number six prospect overall in the 2020 ESPN 300, is expected to enroll in summer classes at Athens later this month, and that is a big, big time get for the Bulldogs of Georgia, who just got a Clemson transfer in this week on the defensive side. Georgia is deep at tight end. They've got Darnell Washington, the number two prospect in that position in the 2020 ESPN 300 there already. And now, you know, kind of beefing things up here with the inclusion of Eric Gilbert. He came to, well, he first went to LSU from Marietta High School in Georgia, started eight games for the LSU Tigers in 2020 before opting out. And now, is going to be suiting up in the red and black and, of course, suiting up in them silver britches of the Georgia Bulldogs, wishing him well. And it is a little odd that we've already reached the month of June and we're still having players transfer from college programs to another. I don't guess there's any kind of time limit of when you can transfer. Heck, you might can even transfer from one program to another and not have any kind of penalty and transfer in the middle of the season. I don't know if that's possible. It wouldn't surprise me if you could do that because it seems like everything else out there is going on in today's world. All right, let's talk a little college basketball in Columbia, South Carolina. Seventh Woods, who is a South Carolina native, I think he's from the Columbia area, he has now announced he's going to transfer 
from the Gamecock men's basketball program. Now, Seventh Woods made a big decision a few years ago when he decided to spurn the Gamecocks and go to the North Carolina Tar Heels. Well, then he ended up going back to the Gamecocks and the six foot two, hundred eighty four pound sharpshooter from Columbia is now going to leave the Gamecocks and Frank Martin's programs. He played in 18 games, had 13 starts this past season for the Fighting Gamecocks, and now he's entered the transfer portal and will be playing elsewhere for his final season of college basketball. Now, Kentucky, what's going on with the Kentucky Big Blue Wildcats? Well, Coach Calipari is still unclear about what his roster is going to look like because he's awaiting transfer rulings. And right now, Calipari, since he's been at UK since 2009, has had a lot of people, you know, he's the guy that kind of, whether he wants to be or not, credited with the one-and-done philosophy. And now the Kentucky Wildcats looking to have players like Davion Mintz and Xavier Wheeler as they're looking to expand the roster for UK. But right now, he's awaiting a ruling on the eligibility of transfers before he'll know how to kind of beef up his team for the forthcoming season last year was the first losing season that coach cow has had as the kentucky wildcats coach hard to believe 2009 he's been on patrol there for big blue nation 12 years ago right after he had done such a good job with the memphis tigers and now coach cow still in the dark a little bit about his 2021 2022 kentucky wildcat basketball team to the NCAA baseball world, we've got regionals going on starting Friday, and that'll last through Monday. And we've got nine SEC teams who punched their ticket to the college baseball postseason. Arkansas is your number one seed. They start out their postseason, and Bomb Stadium, NJIT, is going to be there for a weekend, as, as well as Nebraska and Northeastern. From the SEC, you also have the Alabama Crimson Tide. They made it to the Ruston, Louisiana Regional. The Florida Gators will be hosting in Gainesville. They've got the team they started their season with, the Miami Hurricanes, alongside South Alabama and South Florida in that regional this weekend. SEC also has the Mississippi State Bulldogs with the Starkville Regional. They start their postseason against the Samford Bulldogs, winners of the Southern Conference. By the way, the Fighting Camels of Campbell University, also part of that Starkville Regional. Campbell and VCU are the other two teams besides Sanford and MSU. In the, let's see, Oxford Regional, Mississippi starts off against CMO. The Red Hawks making their way to Swayze Field. Southern Miss and Florida State also in the Oxford Regional. South Carolina is the number two seed in the Columbia Regional. Old Dominion actually is the number one seed. They could not host this year so south carolina gets a bonus here gamecocks will be taking on virginia to start off the their side of the columbia regional lsu has made it to eugene oregon they barely got in they'll be taking on gonzaga oregon and central connecticut are the other teams in that regional and the nashville regional the vanderbilt commodores and the blue hose of presbyterian college will be suiting up against each other starting out this college baseball postseason. Georgia Tech and Indiana State are your other teams in the Nashville regional that Vanderbilt is hosting. And in Knoxville, for the first time in roughly 15 years, Tony Vitello and the Tennessee Vols have Wright State coming in for that regional. Duke and Liberty are your other teams in the Knoxville regional. So some incredible baseball from the college perspective getting ready to start off here in the weekend 
days. Okay, Paul Maneri, big news from him. On Saturday, he announced that he's going to step aside as LSU's head baseball coach. He had been a baseball coach at Notre Dame prior to coming to Baton Rouge. He also had been the head coach at Air Force from 89 to 94. And now the nice guy, the Morgantown, West Virginia native, 63-year-old coach, he led a national championship for LSU. 2009 was the year the Tigers won in Omaha, and he's going to step aside. LSU did not have the best of years this year, and Maneri is going to turn the program over to someone else. We wish him all the best in his effort and a, a, a very good job there as he has had thus far a record of 637 wins, 282 losses as a college baseball coach. But after getting on the scene at LSU starting in 2007, only two years after that, taking over from Skip Burtman, he won a national championship. But it has not provided another natty to LSU fans since 2009, and he's going to be moving on. LSU, as we said, will be playing in the Oregon Regional as they will be facing off against Gonzaga in their first game in that regional. Let's hear from the head coach of the LSU Tigers as he spoke to media as his team is getting ready to take on that team from the West Coast as his LSU Tigers just got in, but it doesn't matter. They're in the dance. Here is Paul Maneri of the LSU Tigers. But I don't want it to be about me. You know, this is, you know, I, I've done this for 39 years. I don't know how many NCAA tournaments I've been in I'd have to count them up you know to to remember but I've had an awful lot of great experiences and if and if we had not had our name called today I would not have been upset for Paul Maneri's sake I would have been upset for those 30 plus kids that were in that room because for some of them that would have been their only opportunity of one of their few opportunities I've had plenty of chances you know my career is fulfilled you know, I've I've made a decision to to hang him up after this year, and I've had you know a bucket load of of great experiences. So, you know, I would have been heartbroken for the players, not for myself. That's Paul Maneri of LSU speaking this week in Baton Rouge after his Tigers did get picked to go on to the NCAA college baseball playoffs. Now, the Vanderbilt Commodores. I think are the reigning national champions of college baseball. Gosh, it's if they're not the most re- – the coronavirus kind of got in the way, so forgive me as uh, we didn't have a national champion in 2020. But I think they won in 2019. So Tim Corbin is the commander of the Commodores, and he spoke this week after his Vanderbilt Commodores got announced as a host site. They'll be taking on Presbyterian in their first game. Here is Vandy's head baseball coach here on today's Y'all Show talking about making it to the postseason. As many times as we've been here, um, just kind of reflect on how this little celebration and tradition meet is so meaningful to them. So glad we, we got the opportunity to do it. Uh, glad we're, we're back here. Glad we have this too because this has been a long time. 15 straight, just for you personally. Isn't that, that pretty special at this point, second longest streak in the country? It's good for the program. The consistency piece has always been. Uh, Part that we're all proud of because it, it does take a tremendous amount of investment and care, and uh, you have to create a lot of energy every year. That's Tim Corbin and his Commodores taking on Presbyterian in the college baseball playoffs. And Tim Corbin was once a coach of the Presbyterian College Blue O's in Clinton, South Carolina. How about that? In fact, 
Presbyterians, I don't know if he's still there or not, but they have had an athletic director there, Brian Reese, I believe is his last name, and he had been at Vanderbilt for a long time prior to going to be the head of that Big South program that's now going to be a member of the Pioneer League, at least in college football, starting real soon. Okay, lastly, you know, Tennessee's kind of a baseball state, if you didn't know this, not just because of the national champion Commodores, but have you seen what the Tennessee Vols have done this year? They won the SEC East, and Tony Vitello has done an amazing job in just a few years leading the Big Orange, and Tennessee gets ready to welcome in Duke and other teams into their regional in Knoxville. Let's hear from the Tennessee Vols head baseball coach, as Tennessee gets ready to host their first regional in some 15 years at Lindsey Nelson Field. Here is the coach of the Big Orange Vols. The number one thing that's going on right now is the kids that we're visiting with or that are committed to us are seeing the environment that we're playing in. And um, I think we're playing in that environment because guys like Q and Josh develop our players, um, and that's helping the environment get better. But also, we're fortunate enough to be at a place like Tennessee where the environment's off the charts, whether it be yesterday or even more so the home games we've had, uh, you know, in recent weeks here. And they're seeing that. And that can really add to a kid's experience uh, when he's in college ball. It can also prepare him for the dream of what is Major League Baseball, um, you know, after this. So um, I, I think that's huge. And then you talk about progression. Self-belief was a big thing when we got here that kind of needed to be transitioned. And uh, we we now have a lot of guys that believe in themselves and the proof's kind of in the pudding. I mean, um, you know, gosh dang, Kevin Cop's pretty difficult to hit, uh, but our guys have at least stood in there well and done some damage against the guy. Uh, I've kind of listed off other things when I was at Hoover. Uh, The bottom line is the league prepares you. And if you can hold your own in our league, there's no reason you shouldn't believe in yourself or your team. And I think that's a spot we're in right now. Um, so, so that certainly helps. Postseason's got a different viewpoint. I don't think our guys really knew what it was about a couple years ago, and, and now they're more familiar. And, and we talked about, hey, you know, we, the regional over in Chapel Hill didn't go as well as we wanted to, but you know, we were in the final, and it'd be a lot easier to play that final on our home turf. And uh, here we are. And here they are, the Vols and Wright State getting together for that first matchup. Congratulations again to Tony Votello and the Tennessee Vols hosting a regional in college baseball. We'll have plenty of college baseball talk going forward next week on the road to Omaha. Well, that wraps up our SEC report. We're about wrapped up here for this first hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. More of the Y'all Show is coming up. Don't go anywhere. We're wrapped up hour one. Stay where you are. Hold on to your britches. We got hour two of talk with a southern accent headed your way. It's going to be oh so fun. Entertainment news and Randy Travis info all in hour two. This is y'all. Well, we're going to answer that question we posed in hour one that nobody evidently knows the answer to. Maybe it was just that hard. 
I'll tell you the answer in just a sec. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Yeah, we're proud to be from the South, and we know that likely you are too. So come on in. Let's just have a good old Southern feast of knowledge of what's going on here in this part of the world on this Thursday. Maybe a little beautiful Thursday, depending on your slice of Dixie. Maybe a little sunshine and nice temps. Could be a little bit toasty, depending on where you're located. We're just glad that you have taken the time to join us here, and we encourage you to also reach out to us. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us 24-7. We're monitoring those lines. Text or call 803-816-1170. So, hour one, we had our news of the South that we were going through, and I guess I'm just going to have to hold on to my million dollars I was planning on giving away because nobody let me know the answer. As Kay Ivey is the current governor of Alabama, she announced on Wednesday that she's going to run for re-election in 2022. And she is the second female governor in the history of the heart of Dixie. And I ask, well, who was the first female governor in the state of Alabama? And y'all didn't respond. So I get to hold on to my million. The answer, and I also ask you to tell me where this first governor of Alabama was from. The answer of the first female governor in the history of Alabama, Lurleen Wallace, the wife of George Corley Wallace, the legendary George Wallace of Alabama, who I think might have been term limited, and that's how his wife ended up becoming governor. I wasn't paying attention back when that happened. I don't even know if I was alive. (laughs) But Lurleen Wallace, the governor of Alabama, the first female governor, and I'm just going to go ahead and make a bold statement. She might have been the first female governor in the Southeast because I don't think Tennessee has ever had a female governor. South Carolina just had its first governor, female governor, with Nikki Haley a few years ago. I don't know about North Carolina. Heck, I don't even know if if Virginia's had a female governor because they they change governors every four years. And uh, I know Texas has had Ann Richards and maybe others, but Ann Richards was a Louisiana governor. I don't think... A Texas governor. I don't think Louisiana's had one. I'm pretty sure Arkansas's not had one. Mississippi, I know, has not had one. Florida, to my knowledge, has never had a female governor. So we still got a long way to go for female governors, in the South at least. But Alabama might have been the trendsetter when Lurleen Wallace was the governor. In fact, there is a county park. It might even be a state park. And her native... And this is where she's from, the second part of that trivia question. She is a native of Tuscaloosa County, the late Lurleen Wallace. I, I should say late. I better look it up. I don't want to put her in the in the ground if she's alive, but I'm pretty sure she has been gone a long time. In fact, she may have even died before her late husband, George Wallace. Let's see here. Lurleen Wallace died in 1968. Yeah. Yeah, she died young. She was the 46th governor of Alabama, serving only 15 months from January 67 till her death in May 68. And she was born in Tuscaloosa County and was, of course, a Democrat at that time in the state of Alabama. And she won the 1966 gubernatorial campaign and died young in life. In fact, Trying to find out how in the world she died at such a fairly young age. 
Looks like she had a abdominal growth discovered in 67 and had a malignancy in her colon and it spread. Her last public appearance as governor was the 1967 blue-gray football game, a great football game of of college players used to be held in Montgomery, and she died. There's some Alabama history for you. The 46th governor of Alabama, serving from January 67 to May of 68, Lurleen Burns Wallace, wife of the first wife of Alabama governor, George Wallace, the former Alabama governor, and she is the answer to our trivia question. But you're not here to answer trivia questions here as we start hour two of today's Y'all Show. But I did have to cover the base and, and get that answer for you here on today's Y'all Show, bringing our heart of Dixie knowledge. Here in the second hour, besides a little trivia to get things going, we also have some entertainment news, some fun stuff going on there. And we'll let you know what some of the top downloads, the top streaming going on here in the month of June are. And also here, this second hour of y'all, we've got a look at what's going on entertainment-wise out of Music City, USA. What's going on in country music? Some Dolly Parton news. Gabby, Gabby, we got your Gabby Barrett update. We'll have that. Plus, Dolly Parton announced what she's done the last 15 months during coronavirus. And I haven't seen a photo of her. I know she looks good. But the now, what is she, 75-year-old East Tennessean says she didn't necessarily have the same regime she would have from an exercise and fitness standpoint during the coronavirus, and we'll we'll explain. All that coming up here, Hour 2 Plus, we'll have a southern accent on business before this Y'all Show Hour 2 is completed. Back into the headlines across the southeast. Here We announced here in our first hour of today's Y'all Show that Joe Biden will be meeting with Queen Elizabeth when he heads to Windsor Castle on June 13th. Now, he's heading across the pond to be part of the international summit that starts two days prior to his meeting at Buckingham Palace, and he'll have a chance while in Great Britain to meet the 95-year-old monarch, Queen Elizabeth, whose husband, Prince Philip, died in April. The Queen met former President Trump during his state visit to the U.K. in 2019. And Trump said afterwards he had so much fun with, with, uh, I guess, the meeting. I don't know if Biden and the Queen will have so much fun either as he's over there as part of a G7 summit mixing in a little fun along the way. But Biden and his wife, Jill, also will be there when the meeting at Buckingham Palace takes place to florida a couple is in a lot of trouble they've been sent to prison this couple from the sunshine state lied about being farmers to get a million dollars in covid relief and and this is something that hasn't received a lot of attention i got alerted the other day by someone who's going to come on here monday and tell us about some of this fraud but there's some real fraud that's happened as a result of the covid relief funds that were made available in 2020 and there's a website at least one website that i know of you can go and search your zip code and see who all got stimulus like for their business and there's there's businesses and there's individuals who got a lot of money and in this case latoya stanley and johnny phyllis from florida we're doing the wrong thing, and this couple from South Florida has now 
pleaded guilty to lying about being, quote, farmers in suburbia in order to qualify for federal COVID-19 relief funds, and they were sentenced to prison on Wednesday, getting 18 months in prison while LaToya got 18. Johnny Phyllis, this other half of the couple, got 30 months in prison. They hauled in, LaToya and Johnny, more than a million dollars in small business administration loans as they pretended to operate not only a couple of non-existent suburban farms, but also a beauty supply store and an auto leasing business. The SBA loan applications were completely false. The couple from North Miami admitted in federal court and now ordering the judge there, Marsha Cook, ordering them to pay back $192,000 to the government. And these two, ages 38 and 33, are going to go off to jail for a while after being arrested in August of last year and charged with committing wire fraud and making false statements when they applied for SBA loans. I am afraid there was a lot of this going on. I'm a little surprised that this case here is already in the rear view, that they've already kind of come to a conclusion on this South Florida couple. But a million dollars, and they're only having to pay back 200000 roughly, $800,000 just down the drain because these people completely made up a lie to get a million dollars gifted to them. But they're going to have a little bit of time to think about it as they head off to the Hooskow for a little while in the state of Florida and maybe to the federal pen outside of Florida. I'm not sure where they will be heading to Florida. We stay and in Duval County, Jacksonville area, School board there has now renamed several schools that were honoring Confederate generals primarily. Schools being renamed by the Duval County School Board include a school for Jefferson Davis, for Generals Joseph Finnegan, Stonewall Jackson, Edmund Kirby Smith, Jeb Stewart, and Robert E. Lee. The Duval County School Board did not choose to rename schools after Jean Rebolt and Andrew Jackson, two figures who controversial but weren't necessarily connected to the Confederacy. So, therefore, they get to keep their names. Now, as a fellow here who likes Civil War history and likes Southern history, likes Confederate history, I know about Jefferson Davis, president of the CSA. I know about Stonewall Jackson, Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson, I know about Edmund Kirby Smith. The Seminole is, was his nickname. He was actually a general from Florida, pretty successful general, one of the two Floridians who had his statue inside Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. I know about Jeb Stewart, the cavalry leader who was killed in 1864, and I know about Robert E. Lee, the Confederate leader of the Army of Northern Virginia. But if you know anything about Civil War history and you, you pay any attention to it, there's almost not a day that goes by that you don't get stumped on something or you, you find out about something you didn't know about. And so as much as I like to call myself a Civil War fan, a Civil War buff, I had never heard of Joseph Finnegan. So let me tell you about Joseph Finnegan, Brigadier General in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. He commanded forces in Middle and East Florida and led the Confederate victory at the Battle of Alusti, the state's only major battle. 
He also led a brigade of Floridians in the Army of Northern Virginia until the end of the war. Before the war, Joseph Finnegan was a politician, attorney, lumber and mill operator, slave owner, and a railroad builder. After the war, he returned to business and worked as a cotton broker. He was born in Ireland. Oh, an Irish Confederate. Born in uh, Clones County, Monaghan in Ireland in 1814. Died in Rutledge, Florida in 1885. But a guy who had ended up being a Confederate Brigadier General from Ireland originally. And that's perhaps why I did not know his name. Because he was more of a Florida general. But yeah, his grave is actually in the Old City Cemetery of Jacksonville, Florida. And a Jacksonville Confederate general. And now the school that has been long named after him is going to be changed to something else. Non-CSA related. But again, I told you they're going to keep the names of Andrew Jackson there in Jacksonville, which the city is named after Andrew Jackson. And Gene Rebolt. Now, who the heck is Gene R-I-B-A-U-A-U-L-T? Let me look that one up if you'll bear with me. Jean Rebault, or Rebault, as they may say. Jean Rebault was a French naval officer, navigator, and a colonizer of what would become the southeastern U.S. So there you have it, an early colonist, an, an early explorer, perhaps, of Florida. Way back, Jean Rebault was born in 1520 and died in 1565, were y'all around in 1565? He died in St. Augustine, and he was a French explorer. And therefore, that's why that school in Florida was named after him. But I do believe he was either a slave importer or slave something, but they're going to skip past that in Duval County and, and let the school named after him continue on. Now to Dallas, a valedictorian at a high school there delivered an abortion rights call and she pulled quite a surprise at Lake Highlands High School. The valedictorian Paxton Smith decided to throw her her planned speech in the trash can, a speech that had been approved by school administrators, and instead delivered an abortion rights call right there at Lake Highlands High School. Now, this comes after, over the weekend, Texas legislators and Governor Greg Abbott signed into law this heartbeat bill, and this youngster there at Lake Highlands was not a fan of it. So when she spoke at the graduation Sunday, she talked of what she called a war on the rights of her body and those of other girls and women by the heartbeat bill that had just been signed into law a week and a half before. She said to her class, and this is exactly what I know they wanted to hear as they were about to get their diploma and head off (laughs) for the rest of their life, She said, Paxton Smith, I cannot give up this platform to promote complacency and peace when there is a war on my body and a war on my rights, a war on the rights of your mothers, a war on the rights of your sisters, a war on the rights of your daughters. We cannot stay silent. And since she was the valedictorian and it was graduation, I bet you not a whole lot could be done. (laughs) Maybe they could rush over there and take her diploma away at the last second. But this valedictorian getting in the news today and probably becoming a major hero to the left and the 
effort to preserve abortion in the country. The Selma to Montgomery march camps are a list are on the list of endangered sites. If you ever travel US 80, I could be wrong with the number, somewhere like that. US 80 which leads you out of Montgomery to Selma in the central portion of Alabama. You'll see along that route these campsites and then have a big sign saying this is where they slept on the march to Montgomery so and so 1965. And this was a landmark voting rights march in that year of 65. People like John Lewis made his way to Selma and other civil rights leaders of that time period. But because of decades of weather, wear, and frankly neglect, campsites that these civil rights marchers used in 1965 are threatened. And some of these are also privately owned campsites. And I was right. It's along US 80. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, I'm all right. I, I'm doing pretty good with my road road knowledge here on this Thursday y'all show. But these settlements, campsites, if you will, are now a list of places that are considered endangered in the United States and need to be preserved. And they're not the only ones. In fact, we have a couple other sites in the South that I'll tell you about that are in need of being protected. The George B. Williams Nursing Home, that is in Camilla, Georgia. It was once the only black-owned birthing place for black women in Camilla, Georgia, the Georgia B. Williams Nursing Home. And other sites are in other portions of the country that are on this list, according to the National Trust for Historic Preservation. But, yeah, check it out. I mean, these march camps did not necessarily have buildings attached to them. They were essentially just a field. I don't even know if they had permission to camp out in those fields back in 1965. They did it anyway, and therefore it's a a portion of the civil rights story that is in perhaps jeopardy, if not preserved. And frankly, somebody, if they want to preserve them, needs to find the money to, to buy the land and erect some kind of museum or markers or things like that to tell the story of the 1965 march to Sel- from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. A man in Florida is claiming stand your ground as a defense for killing an iguana. Reports say that humanely killing an iguana is technically legal in the state of Florida. But yeah, this person getting in some problems here. P.J. Nalaja Patterson. He is trying to use Florida's stand-your-ground law to get out of animal control and their cruelty charges that actually could put him behind bars for up to five years. And he's accused of brutally pummeling an iguana to death and said he was just defending himself. But a circuit judge court in Florida says this man and his stand-your-ground immunity might not work. It just might not work. Stand your ground allows people to use force if threatened and there's no requirement they have to retreat. Patterson's attorneys claim that the client feared for his life back on September 2nd when he was faced with the three-foot iguana. He says the, the lawyer for Patterson, the vicious animal got the best of Patterson and savagely bit his right arm. He ended up having 22 staples as a result of that bite. And killing an iguana is technically legal in Florida if it's done humanely 
You can hit iguanas over the head with a shovel, stab them in the brain, and even decapitate them as long as they die instantly and don't suffer, according to a publication. But prosecutors argued that the animal did suffer. This is ridiculous. This is if the if the darn iguana bit him and it caused twenty two stitches, staples, whatever, to go into his arm. The guy was scared, and maybe he didn't punch it like he should have and killed it instantly. That's what a crazy story to tell you about here on today's Y'all Show. I want to apologize for crazy stories, and sometimes they slip through the cracks, and in this case, but it's it's an interesting story, don't you think? Here's a dumb story I'll share with you here on this Thursday Y'all Show. Elvis, a sign that says Elvis has left the building, and it left the building that's known as the Elvis Presley birthplace in Tupelo, and the museum has now discovered the name taken from what's called the Elvis Presley Birthplace Museum and Chapel sign. The word Elvis had been written as the rock and roll pioneer's signature, and somebody decided to take off with it. There's a $1,000 reward offered to someone who can report where this Elvis signature is part of the sign there at the birthplace is located. The museum there in Tupelo is not exactly sure when the brick sign was damaged. The entire sign, by the way, was stolen three months ago and had just recently been replaced. (laughs) So they need to have some kind of security guard or somebody, maybe a volunteer from Graceland will come down from Memphis to Tupelo and help out. Now, this, this place has had a lot of problems here in just the recent months. The Elvis Presley birthplace in Tupelo survived a tornado that went through in early May. If you get a chance to go there, just outside of Tupelo, East Tupelo, it includes a restored two-room house built by Elvis's family back for only $180. I think it was built in the early 30s or 20s. I guess Vernon built the thing. Elvis was born in this house in January 1935. So please, let's let's be a little, little nicer to the Elvis Presley Birthplace and Museum sign and Let's keep tornadoes out of that portion of East Tupelo if we're able to. We've got more, y'all, coming up here. Stay tuned. An entertainment report is ready to be filed, and I'll have that as we have some of the best streaming options for you here in the month of June. That plus later in the hour, country music news out of Nashville. Randy Travis, 35 years since the storms of life. I'll fill you in on that and more here as the Y'all Show continues. Continuing on Thursday, y'all, 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with y'all. Let's give you some entertainment news. And let me get in my uh, best Hollywood movie announcer voice. From executive producers Barack Obama and Michelle Obama comes the new trailer for We the People, 
We the People, an animated musical show set to air on Netflix. And that's right, the nation's 44th president and his spouse, Michelle, are executive producer. A description for the show reads, The show combines music and animation to educate a new generation of young Americans about the power of the people. We the People is a series of 10 music videos that cover a range of civics lessons tailored toward young people. Artists on this include H.E.R., Janelle Monet, Brandy Carlisle, Lynn Manuel Miranda, Adam Lambert, Corday, B.B. Rexa, Kyle, Andre Day, and poet Amanda Gorman. <laughs> Amanda Gorman, the most famous American that nobody had ever heard of until January 20th. Now, Amanda Gorman on just about every magazine cover and everything else, but she's in this alongside all these other people. Where's our Nashville connections here, Barack and Michelle Obama? I don't see a single person connected to Music City involved in We the People, but maybe it's good. Again, this is going to be out. It's a collection of 10 music videos, and it is going to air on Netflix. We the People from executive producers Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. You've been wondering what they've been doing. Well, besides writing big-time books, looks like they're into the Netflix production. So when's our 45th president going to get a chance to do a a series on Netflix? Uh, I'll be waiting for that one. Matthew Perry, the friend star, and his fiancée Molly Hurwitz have decided to go in their separate corners. People reporting that the couple ended their engagement Perry said in a statement to people that sometimes things just don't work out, and this is one of them. I wish Molly the best. It could have been the age difference. Not that I'm against people being in love that aren't exactly the same age. Matthew Perry, 51, and his former fiance was 29. That's a 22-year age gap. They became a couple in 2018, got engaged last year. Now, friends has really been in the news a lot here lately for for what the actors are doing in a reunion special for HBO Max and just other news and notes. I just told you about a Courtney Cox thing on here this week, and y'all know how I feel about Jennifer Aniston, and I'm sure a lot of you fellas out there, and heck, some of you girls feel the same way. She's one of the most beautiful women uh, out there, and and she's not even from the South. That's a, a sad thing to have to admit here on today's y'all show, but... Matthew Perry and his friends co-stars recently got back together for the first time in a while for that HBO Max special. And and now, unfortunately, if they get together again, he's going to be minus a, a sweetheart, at least for the time being, as Matthew Perry, the actor, and Molly, Molly Hurwitz are evidently no longer an engaged couple. What's streaming in the month of June as we have hit now? The sixth month of the year, and if you have here on this third day of the sixth month of the year a plan of what to watch, great. But if you don't, here is what is some of the options for you to stream this month. In the Heights, that is a series on HBO Max set in New York City. And it's not a series, it's a film. It's a summer film, and it fuses Lin-Manuel Miranda's music and director John Chu's storytelling eye for what looks like a fun movie 
In the Heights on HBO Max here this month. Wolfgang, that is out on Disney+. Plus. Chef Wolfgang Puck, and that is the subject of this new documentary. So if you want to learn about this famous chef, one of the most famous chefs going, maybe one of the earliest male chefs to get popularity, you can learn about that courtesy of Wolfgang on Disney+. Plus. Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries Season 2 is on Acorn TV. And that is about a swinging 1960s crime series following the fearless and spirited Perjuran Fisher, the niece of a world-class adventurer and private detective Fryan Fisher. Okay, Acorn TV. I'm not familiar with Acorn TV, but you can check it out. It's a spinoff, by the way, of an Australian sensation called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. And this is Miss Fisher's Murder, Mrs. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries Season 2 on Acorn TV. Bosch, Season 7. This is based on Michael Connolly's best-selling novel, The Burning Room, and it is available for you on Amazon Prime here in the month of June. Oh, we need another exciting Liam Neeson choice. And you got it here on Netflix in the month of June, The Ice Road. After a remote diamond mine collapses in far northern Canada, a big rig ice road driver, played by Liam Neeson, must lead an impossible rescue mission over a frozen ocean to save a trap, a bunch of trapped miners. And you can imagine what happens from there. I don't know if typical Liam Neeson films, he ends up beating up a bunch of people. I don't know if that's going to happen in the ice road, but it, it's out now on Netflix, and that ought to be a, a fun re- a fun view. I've got to, to make that part of my weekend plans. Black Summer Season 2 out on Netflix. Christine Lee stars in this. And it looks like more of a youngster-type film if you're looking for something for the young youngins here in the month of June. Netflix has Sophie, A Murder in West Cork. It is the story, a true crime series based on the murder of Sophie Toscan in Duplantier, a French woman found dead near her West Cork Holiday Home. That is out right now on Netflix. And you can go to Amazon Prime to find Dom. And this is about a boxer. And uh, I think it's about a boxer. It looks like it's a boxer. The original Brazilian series inspired by the infamous true story of a father and son on opposite sides of a war on drugs in Rio. So going a little south for this. Maybe they do a little boxing, and that's what this uh, shot of this scene looks like. Dom out in June on Amazon Prime. And you go to Hulu. Hulu's got the outside story. A broken-hearted video editor who recently broke up with his girlfriend sequesters himself at home, but then he locks himself out of his apartment. He's forced to meet his previously avoided neighbors and learn some valuable lessons. The outside story starring Brian Tyree Henry in the lead role is out on Hulu this month. Amazon Prime has Flack Season 2, starring Anna Paquin as Robin. That is a choice for you here in the month of June. How about this one? Jenner Ray Plus Ion, a dramedy, is a dark yet playful series following a diverse group of high school students whose exploration of modern sexuality Test deeply entrenched beliefs about life, love, and more. You can find that on HBO 
Max. I'm trying to see if there's any other things worth noting. Here's at least something from a person we've heard of, Barat. Y'all know about Barat? On Amazon Prime, you can check out Barat Supplemental Reportings Retrieved from Floor of Stable Containing Editing Machine. Sasha Baron Cohen and his Barat character is back. Check that out on Amazon Prime. Thoughts Positive is on Hulu. And how about this one? If you're needing some excitement here in the month of June, Too Hot to Handle Season 2 on Netflix. The world's hottest no-dating dating show is back with 10 sexy new singles. Adults only, it looks like, for that one. And I don't see any other of these with a southern connection that I'm at least scrolling through here on the list. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. But it looks like there's a lot of choices. So there you have it. Some streaming options for this sixth month of the year, getting your summertime ready to go big time if you're wanting to stay in and binge watch. After the break, stay tuned. We've got the latest from Nashville, Randy Travis's famous 1986 album, Storms of Life, is celebrating its 35th birthday this year, and there's going to be a re-release. I'll play maybe the most famous song from that album when we come back from break and other news and notes from country music. That's up next as the Y'all Show second hour rolls on. On one hand, I count the reasons I could stay with you And hold you close to me all night long So many lovers' games I'd love to play with you On that hand, there's no reason why it's wrong But on the other hand, there's a golden band To remind me of someone who would not understand On one hand, I could stay and be your loving man But the reason I must go is on the other hand Paul Overstreet and Don Schlitz wrote that one And Randy Travis took it to immortality On the other hand This is the Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl, country music guru, I claim to be. And boy, back in the 1980s when that song was on the radio, (laughs) that's what you called country music. And Randy Travis is definitely country music. And here on this spotlight, this segment of country music news and notes, let me tell you about R.T. Randy Travis, the North Carolina native. Storms of Life was the album of which, on the other hand, was a part of and it is the 35th anniversary of the release of that warner brothers record and this year we're going to see a 35th anniversary deluxe edition of storms of life hit 
the stands across the southeast as the Country Music Hall of Fame member announcing a remastered version of his triple platinum. They call it a genre-defining debut album. And you're going to have never-before-heard tracks from Storms of Life. And that will be released September 24th. You can pre-order it beginning August 27th. The album will include remastered versions of all 10 original tracks, plus three unreleased songs found in the vault of, I guess, the recording sessions of when this song and this album was recorded back in the 1980s. Now, let me remind you about some of the other songs off of Storms of Life besides On the Other Hand. The title track, The Storms of Life, was written by Nashville hit songwriters Max D. Barnes and Troy Sills. Other big songs on this, some singles from it. Paul Overstreet had a hand in co-writing Digging Up Bones. That was also a great song. Paul Overstreet also wrote another single from that album. Paul Overstreet made a few dollars off this thing as he co-wrote, or he wrote this one all by himself, actually, to credit the Mississippi native Paul Overstreet, who ended up becoming a solo artist as well. And around the same time in the 80s, he was actually a member of a, a trio, Schuyler, No Block, and Overstreet, SKO. And one of their big songs was You Can't Stop Love. But Paul Overstreet is a songwriter, wrote No Place Like Home. Sad one. Sad, sad, sad. Maybe even sadder than his other song, On the Other Hand. And Paul Overstreet, I've been around him. He's a funny guy. He's a cool guy. Uh, but he had some dark times writing these songs back in the 1980s he didn't write this one though this was another big randy travis song from storms of life buddy blackman and vip vipperman co-wrote 1982 and i think that was all of the singles you had about four singles from that album all become big songs from randy travis kyle lenning produced it and again this year marking the 35th anniversary of storms of life and Look for it in September when it is released. Go to your favorite record store and pick up this offering from Randy Travis. Excitement here to tell you about. Gabby Barrett says she is excited to bring her daughter on the road. Barrett will soon join Thomas Rhett's 2021 The Center Point Road Tour. And that is the road in Goodlettsville that Thomas Rhett Aikens kind of grew up on so yeah how about gabby barrett the new mommy having a chance to hit the road so many artists have been looking forward to the day that they could get back out on the road and now the new mommy gabby barrett is excited to take her youngster on the road as she and husband Cade foner they welcomed their first child daughter bela back in may and now she can load up the kids and i don't envy her on that i have taken a three to four month old child on the road before on a long road trip and between having the formula just right and you have to take it to like a microwave or something like that it was a, a time that I, I i cherish but boy it was a lot a lot of work and here she's ready to get out on the road with her youngster in tow so gabby we wish you all the best congratulations to north carolinian luke combs his latest number one forever after all inspired by a new home now, Forever After All is Luke Combs' 11th consecutive number one hit, and it is number one on Billboard's country airplay chart. Can you imagine? I think every single song Luke Combs has put out there has gone to the top of the chart, and it is right there. The song 
inspired by a dwelling. Combs saying this was the first song that he wrote in his new house that he had just moved into, and he wrote it with some guys that were friends of his, Drew Parker, Rob Wilford, and he had an idea going around in his phone, and he just knocked it out, and rest you know is his. It was in a mood that he said moving into his house was something good for him to finish forever after all. I think this is the song that's out now. The music video shows his wedding in Key West, I think is where it took place. And Luke Combs, that new home of his before he got married, comes to play and gives him another number one, 11 number ones for Luke Combs. Congratulations. Dolly Parton news here on today's Y'all Show. Dolly Parton says she did not wear sweatpants or work out at all during the pandemic. The Coda Mini Color Singer and Jolene and some of the great songs uh, created her own what she called rejoicing exercises to pass time during quarantine. And now Dolly Parton saying to everybody that she she didn't wear sweatpants. I don't know what she wore. <laughs> uh, she calls some of the stuff she wore baby clothes because they're soft like a baby. But she says she does not wear Sweat clothes. The 75-year-old legend, Dolly Parton, has survived the coronavirus, and that's wonderful news. And she survived it, she says, by not wearing sweatpants. She told this to the Wall Street Journal that she didn't spend much of the last 500 so days in sweatpants or going through the typical workout that a lot of people went through, she went through what she called her own rejoicing exercises. So, Dolly, you can just do whatever you want to do. Honey, we're all for you there. When we come back on the Y'all Show, a quick report coming up. It'll be our southern accent from Kobe Bennett on business. Right here on the Y'all Show, talk with a southern accent. Hey, Randy, keep it going. There's a golden bank. To remind me of Southern Accent. Here's the Business South update from Meow.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Walmart has landed a deal with casual fashion giant Gap Inc. to launch Gap Home, the clothing brand's first home collection. With this new deal, Gap hopes to rebound from its declining status that it obtained within the COVID-19 pandemic, though it wasn't all bad for the chain, as the lockdown increased sales of jeans, sweatshirts, and sweatpants. The new partnership hopes to unite two of the most successful, powerful retail brands in the country, using Walmart's superior scale to revitalize the Gap's visionary heritage. The new collection will release on June 24th exclusively on Walmart.com. It will include more than 400 items across home decor, tabletop, bedding, and bath. The designs will be usable across all kinds of rooms, ranging from college dorms to studio apartments to suburban living rooms. The executive vice president of Walmart, Anthony Suhu, told Forbes, We're thrilled that Gap selected Walmart as the exclusive retailer to debut its home brand. A hallmark of American fashion, Gap is the ideal partner to bring its timeless signature style into the modern home to help customers design and decorate beautiful living spaces. Business news headlines and more at y'all.com. And thank you, Kobe Bennett, with that report on Southern business well that will wrap up hour two of the thursday y'all show hang on we got a whole nother 60 minutes of southern sensational fun coming your way strap on get ready it's going to be great 
We've got a update on Southern sports. We will tell you some of the funniest things going on on Twitter between people who are married. And we'll tell you about some of the great festivals of the Southeast headed your way this weekend. All right here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Thursday is the day that we find ourselves on the calendar, and here on the Y'all Show, we find ourselves right here poised to bring you a final hour of talk about the South. We accentuate the South on Y'all. That's why we call ourselves Talk with a Southern Accent, putting a little drawl in your lifestyle that's what we do here i am john rawl yeah rawl y'all and uh all y'all can enjoy john rawl talking about y'all here this third hour 803-816-1170 that is the way to get in touch with us here and if you got something to say we want to hear from you guys 803-816-1170 our website y'all.com it is the home page of the southeast go there right now for Great videos and great features and great recipes. Fantastic conversations at y'all.com. Go there, like it. I promise you, if you don't, I'll give you your money back. Here in this final hour of the Thursday Y'all Show, courtesy of the Huffington Post, the funniest marriage tweets. We'll break that down later in today's Y'all third hour. Also, a reminder of what's going on across the Southeast here in our Southern Headlines. We still have to tell y'all about some fun stuff going on. We've covered some of the dark stuff, but we have some fun and lighthearted stuff to pass along, including how a Georgia police officer bought toothpaste for a homeless man. And in Memphis, a family gets to go to Israel for the first time, and they get this because for decades they've been publishing the lone newspaper that services the Jewish community of Memphis in the Mid-South. And the Goldbergers are heading to Israel as a tribute to their great career in journalism all that coming your way before we get out of here in hour three of the y'all show talk with a southern accent we also have before the hours up a couple of festivals going on across the southeast this very weekend if you have kind of a blank calendar and you're looking for something fun to do i'll give you some great ideas as part of our festive south feature later in the hour up first though the southern sports angle and from the nba on wednesday the memphis grizzlies the season is over for ja morant and the bill street basketballers as utah eliminates memphis 126 to 110 it wasn't even close and now the jazz advance in the western conference playoffs good news though for another southern team the Atlanta Hawks won their series against the New York Nets, 103-89. Trey Young did a great job there, bowing to the Madison Square Garden crowd after a bunch of threes. And uh, the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young, by the way, the Oklahoma Sooner, the Atlanta Hawks advance after knocking off the Knicks, 103-89 in the first round collision between those two. The 76ers advance. They win their series against the Washington Wizards. Wednesday's Game 5 was a 129-112 victory for the 76ers. And then the Dallas Mavericks are just a little bit closer to moving on in the playoffs 
as in game five, they just got past the L.A. Clippers 105-100 to and uh, a 42-point night for one of the Mavericks players there and a great, great job by that team and their one game closer to advancing in their playoff run. What is on tap in the NBA here on this Thursday, June 3rd, as playoff games continue? The Nuggets will be in Portland. The Trailblazers welcome them in, them in as Denver leads that series 3-2. Denver needs a victory to advance, and they just might get it. That's going to be televised on TNT starting at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. TNT also has a game after that one. It's a late one from the Staples Center as the Phoenix Suns look to pull the upset in their series against the Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers and Suns tipping off at 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 Central on TNT. And with the win, Phoenix advances. With a a win, the Lakers will knot up the series, and it will go to a deciding seventh game back in Phoenix. But maybe, just maybe, the Valley will come through here on this Thursday and knock off LeBron James, and then he can go off and do whatever LeBron wants to do in the offseason. But there's a good chance when we all wake up here at least on Saturday, there won't be a Lakers nor a Clippers team in the NBA playoffs. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) But how about them Atlanta Hawks? How about the Dallas Mavericks with the chance to advance? And, I mean, this is good news if you're like NBA basketball and you're in this part of the world. Unfortunately for Grizz fans, yeah, your season's over. Hornets fans, you couldn't even get past that play-in game, so... Not good news. Keeping it on the hard court for this story, the Duke Blue Devils have announced that Mike Krzyzewski is going to retire after the season, and a replacement has been named John Shire, who played for Coach K at Duke some 15 years ago. Coach K, the winningest coach in Division I men's basketball history, leading Duke to five national championships in 41 seasons, and he's going to retire at the end of this coming season. And this was announced Wednesday at the Durham campus. Again, Shire, who's been Duke's associate head coach, played for Coach K from 2006 to 2010 and has been named the successor. He will spend this season as a coach in waiting and will take over just after that. So a shocking news and a, I guess a transition of big epic proportion from this ACC school going this route coach k exiting and a guy who frankly you have to really be a duke insider to kind of know who this person is but that's not been not been exactly all that long ago that shire was playing for coach k in fact his name is j-o-n just like mine but his real name is jonathan and there's a really neat post that Duke men's basketball's Twitter account put out at Duke MBB and it has a photo of Coach K and young Jonathan back before he ever got close to going to college (laughs) as uh, Shire looks like he may have been 13, 14 in this photo probably taken around 2001 2002 but the photo has Coach K and Shire together with the caption of dream big but It's a photo that's actually autographed by Coach K, and it says, To Jonathan, work hard and always try your best, exclamation point, sign Mike Krzyzewski. And he gave this to this young man 
likely early in the recruiting stages of trying to get him to go to the Durham campus. But I guess Jonathan held on to that photo all these years, and now he is indeed working hard, working hard so much that he's getting a chance to take over for the guy on the left side of this picture, Mike Krzyzewski, and becoming the next head basketball coach at Duke University. Another ACC school in the news, but this is not for the best of reasons. A a fairly newcomer to the Virginia Tech football team, freshman Isi Ute, who's only been on campus a couple of months, has not played for the Hokies. This freshman linebacker has been arrested and charged with second-degree murder and now being held without bond in Blacksburg, Virginia. In a statement on its website, Blacksburg police saying it responded to a welfare check on Tuesday evening and found a deceased male victim. Detectives determined the death a homicide and arrested Itoe on Wednesday. He's being held at the Montgomery County Jail in southwestern Virginia. Virginia Tech putting out a statement on Wednesday saying that this man had not been uh, that he had been immediately suspended from the football team and also from the university he's been suspended. He was a three-star rated recruit coming out of Virginia Beach, the 29th ranked recruit in the state, and also turned down offers from NC State, Virginia, and Vanderbilt to enroll as an early enrollee at Virginia Tech. He participated in spring practice and was in competition for a reserve role as a Hokie linebacker, but this Virginia Tech freshman, Issei Ite, now charged with murder in Blacksburg, Virginia. We'll also let you know today starts the Women's College World Series for softball, and several Southern teams have made their way to Oklahoma City. Two teams didn't have to go very far. Oklahoma is the number one seed, and they begin their quest for a national championship with a high noon first pitch against James Madison, the Harrisonburg, Virginia school playing against the Sooners. This is going to be televised ESPN here today. It's a lunchtime affair between the Sooners and James Madison. Georgia, the Bulldogs, way to go to UGA. UGA out of the SEC makes its way to Omaha, or rather to Oklahoma City, and they'll be taking on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in a mid-afternoon game on this second game of the Women's College World Series. Later today, Alabama and Arizona get together on the softball diamond. And tonight, it's Florida State and UCLA facing off in the Game 4 of this Women's College World Series of softball. Again, your Southern teams out of the eight teams that made their way to OKC, Oklahoma, James Madison, Georgia, Oklahoma State, Alabama, and Florida State. I think that leaves only, what, two non-Southern teams in this Women's College World Series We've done a great job here in the South promoting softball over the last 20 years. And what this sport was once dominated by the UCLA's and West Coast teams of the world, you're starting to see more and more Southern teams with a chance to win Women's College World Series and NCAA softball. So good luck to all the ladies on the diamond here for this weekend. And I think they crown a champion Monday or Tuesday as the championship game of this. In fact, National Championship Game Finals. That's right. It's a, it's a series. It starts June 7th on ESPN. June 7th is Game 1. June 8th is Game 2. And if necessary, a Game 3 will be played June 9th. So only a handful of days. Early next week is when a national champion will be crowned in the best two of three 
finals of the Women's College World Series and the sport of softball. And that will wrap up. Again, don't want to forget that baseball, the road to Omaha, we've talked about that a lot, that begins on Friday with regional sites around college baseball. Hang on, y'all continues after the timeout. The funniest marriage tweets, according to HuffPost.com. I've got the list, and I'll share it with you. We need some good laughter. That's going to be coming up also before the hour's up. More headlines from across the southeast, plus a look at some great festivals taking place this weekend. It is y'all, and it is coming right after this break. Not sure I'm going to call that fellow there for relationship advice, but I might dial up HuffPost.com. Hello, welcome back, y'all. Hour three, continuing on. We're having fun. Hope you're having fun and enjoying our show. And drop us a note, if you will. Let us know how we're doing here at the Y'all Show, 803-816-1170. That's how you can text us or call us, 803-816-1170. Our email address is M-A-I-L, mail at y'all. Y-A-L-L, mail at y'all.com. And speaking of that Huffington Post article, they've got something up that caught my eye. And for all of you married folks out there, I think you're going to enjoy reading and hearing about this. It's 25 of the funniest tweets about married life that have been posted, and they have captured it at huffpost.com. And I hope to get through this without having any bad words (laughs) that I miss while reading about this HuffPost.com entry here. But, yeah, marriage, as we know, has highs and lows and also a lot of just ordinary moments, according to the Huffington Post article. And every other week, HuffPost.com rounds up some of the funniest marriage tweets that they find on social media, and some will have you laughing in agreement. So, Maybe if you're not married, these won't quite have a a kind of ring that you expect. But if you're married, these might connect to you in more ways than you ever dreamt of. Okay, so up first is a tweet from Eli McCann. Eli writes, husband informed me the shorts I've been running in around my neighborhood are actually just underwear. How's your month going? Okay, that's from Huffington Post, number two. On their list of funny tweets about married life. This comes from at mama out of order. Do you ever watch your husband try to find something and think, wow, I married this? As a guy, I can't necessarily have uh, an opinion on that one. But yeah, mama out of order with do you ever 
watch your husband try to find something and think, wow, I married this. Yeah, ladies, you might know what she's talking about there. Simon Holland is on Twitter, at Simon C. Holland, and he writes, thought things were going pretty well for my marriage and family, but apparently everyone has a pergola but us. Okay. Thought everything was going well for his marriage and as well as his family life, but apparently everyone has a pergola but Simon. Do you know what he's talking about? A pergola is an archway that you'll find often in a garden or park, and it's a framework covered with train climbing or trailing plants. So you have to have a yard to have a pergola. So, Simon, maybe you don't have a big yard to to put one of those pergolas in, but, yeah, don't be too envious. But they are pretty things if you have a pergola. (laughs) I'm envious, just like Simon Holland seemed a little envious. Vision Board One on Twitter with a fun tweet. Me at 21, quote, I think having all-boy roommates would be cool. Me at age 39, Vision Board One writes, me living with a husband and three sons, and then a, and then the F-bomb. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. And maybe you're for, are you a lady out there that's had male roommates? And I'm not talking about just one. I'm talking about maybe a house full of guy roommates. For whatever reason, you ended up being the only lady in a house full of guys. I wonder if that was a good thing for you, uh, or, or was it a nightmare? Uh, I've had a female roommate. She had a boyfriend in the house, and there was another male roommate. I got along with her just fine. In fact, heck, I wish she was still my roommate because one time her mom came to visit. Her mom was a native of, I think, the Philippines. And I'm not saying Americans don't do this, but evidently certain nations, certain cultures will do the kind of thing that I'm about to tell you. I hardly knew this lady, and I certainly barely knew her daughter that was even one of my so-called roommates. I go out to do something one day while she's visiting. I come back, and she's washed my laundry and folded it perfectly. <laughs> and and that she just said, I just wanted to you know help you out. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, but Vision Board doesn't have someone from the Philippines living with her. She's got a husband and three sons, and she doesn't quite have that same attitude of having all-boy roommates anymore at age 39. Vinod Chapru is on Twitter, at CH Happiness. And this person tells social media, and HuffPost.com's captured this tweet, excited to bond with my wife and tell her that her labor pains were nothing compared to my body ache from the second vaccine shot. Ooh, you do not want to tell her that. Let me tell you, fellow to fellow here, Vinod, no, 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 that's probably not a good idea. I recently got slapped on the hand for having to be forced to guess a woman's age. And I was only about three years off, but I went the wrong direction on my guess. Yeah, I went older. And I've been ridiculed since that day. So you do not want to tell your loving wife that her labor pains, nothing compared to your body ache from the second vaccine shot. And I've not birthed a baby. But if you've birthed a baby, 
I'm sure you're wanting to tell, have me tell you this guy's address so you can really lay it on him how difficult childbirth can be, especially compared to getting a, a second vaccine shot. Rodney LaCroix is on Twitter, at Rod, L-A-C-R-O-I-X. He writes, Wife and I are drinking outside on the deck, and the neighbors are also outside having a massive argument. So, looks like our night just planned itself. Oh, Rodney, you're eavesdropping on the neighbors. Shame, shame, shame. It is kind of fun, though, isn't it? I've had some noisy neighbors before. Usually, it wasn't um, quite as fun as it sounds like Rodney is having. I've had noisy neighbors, and they've had young children, like seven, five, somewhere in that age, just starting school age. And I've heard the kids yelling. I've heard the parents yelling. And this hasn't happened lately, thankfully. But I've heard them yelling at 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. I think somebody actually called child services on them, I think. But, yeah, control your kids. I don't think there's a single kid that needs to be running around yelling and screaming at 1 in the morning. And that's what happened there. But I don't know about the ages of the people that Rodney LaCroix and his wife are going to be outside drinking and eavesdropping on the neighbors with. Mark is on Twitter at the Cat Whisperer. Ooh, how about that? A Twitter account. Yeah, he writes in HuffPost.com has published it. His tweet it says, "Just caught my wife teaching our five-year-old to put the toilet paper on the roll in the over position, and it was like falling in love all over again." <laughs> I didn't know there was names for the positions that toilet paper gets put on a roll but yeah the over position it does make a difference mark you bring up a good point when you're sitting in a a toilet or on a toilet in a in a toilet section of a maybe a public restroom and the toilet paper is facing the wrong direction and you got to pull it upwards it it's a little weird you just can't rip it off at the right spot that is if you use toilet paper I hope most of you do. But yeah, the over position as opposed to the under position made Mark fall in love all over again when he caught his wife teaching the five-year-old how to put toilet paper on the roll in the over position. And uh, that seems like a good thing to teach our young ones here. If you've never had the talk and it ain't about the birds and the bees. It's about the over position. <laughs> you need to have a talk with your little ones out there right now and get them. No wonder our country is messed up. We don't have kids putting toilet paper on the correct way. Mark, thank you for that. HuffPost.com is where you can go. They've got, again, this article up, 25 of the funniest tweets about married life. And we're sharing a few of them here on today's Y'all Show. Jess Solomon is on Twitter at Jess underscore Solomon. Jess writes, my wife just texted, quote, it was nothing to ride home about. And I didn't correct her because I'm trying to be less, quote, critical. Yeah, not right, but she wrote ride. Nothing to ride home about. Those darn autocorrects really can be a a big old pain in the tuchus. And in this case, maybe maybe wife didn't know how to actually spell it. But 
I bet you they did. It was the we'll blame it on the autocorrect. Nothing to write home about for all of our English majors. Up next is Dan Regan at social underscore M I M E on Twitter. Dan writes My wife can give the finger with her eyes. Ooh. Man, Dan, I feel sorry for you, man. Mm, Dan. I guess that's better than actually getting the finger your way. <laughs> but with the eyes, ooh, some people call it that evil stare. And you're evidently able as a loving husband to, to detect when your wife is extremely upset with you. And, uh, yeah, he says his wife can give the finger with her eyes. Are you guilty of that, y'all? Ooh, we'll pray for you here. That mom, though, is on Twitter, at mom underscore T-H-O. She writes, me, if I have two pieces of cake, will you judge me? And the husband responds, if you don't eat it, the cake will go bad. And she writes back, I vow to never eat. She writes back, I vow to never backseat drive again. Husband says, really? And she says, no, oh my, O-M-F-G, no, J-K, I love you though, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, yeah, backseat driving and cake, that coming from that mom though. Again, these are tweets coming from married folks and HuffPost.com captures it and has put it out there for all y'all to learn and read about. And these are just some of the 25 tweets here that we're sharing with you. Up next, Karen Bersing is on Twitter, at Karen Burr, T-I-N-N-A. And Karen Burr writes, Imagine being so stupid that when your wife or girlfriend asks you to take a photo of her and you take exactly one photo. Ooh. Yeah, I think especially in today's iPhones and digital phone era, you got to take a bunch of You got to do the, what, that, the photo burst option. And it sounds like you have made the mistake, Karen Burr, of taking just that one photo and wife, girlfriend, or both did not like it. And they they laid it on you for not having a nice selection of pictures taken. All right, one last one here. Again, these coming to us courtesy of HuffPost.com. Jawbreaker is on Twitter. At Six Foot Candy is the actual Twitter handle. I like both of those identifications from Jawbreaker or at Six Foot Candy. And they write, is your husband mature or does he ask you to hold his salty something every time he hands you a bag of pistachios at Whole Foods? Well, how about that? Yeah, that from Jawbreaker. Thank you for that. And that one was a little bit on the X-rated side. I can't read it. So let me let me, let me me wrap up with one that maybe we can all Connect with, and this comes to us from Ursula at 3SUNZZZ on Twitter. She writes, I don't mean to brag, but my husband and I met at McDonald's. Ooh, that, that is romance right there, right there alongside the Big Mac and the fries and the Happy Meal you and your husband met. Maybe they worked at McDonald's and that's how they met, or maybe they were just customers. I'll be honest with you, in today's world of uh, coronavirus and post-coronavirus recovery, not many McDonald's are open so you're going to have to meet in the drive-thru if you're going to meet at all and that 
sure makes romance tough. And I'll be honest, it's tough to have a romance anyway in coronavirus world when people are wearing masks. You know, it's hard to pick up a lady or pick up a fella when they can't even understand what you're saying. So I'll, I'll be happy when this mask wearing goes away if for no other reason maybe romance can fly again when we come back on y'all a look at headlines across the south this is y'all talk with a southern accent let's go to mcdonald's young lady was born in memphis tennessee in 1955 roseanne cash and speaking of the 901 i've got a story about memphis i'll be sharing with you uh, with you here in a second this is the show covering memphis shelby county the rest of tennessee the rest of the mid-south the rest of the southeast this is y'all talk with a southern accent with john Rawl. and let me tell you a little news story nationwide some positive news here COVID-19 cases hitting their lowest point in the country since the pandemic began. Fantastic news. The U.S. averaging roughly 16,500 new cases per day over the past week. That is a 30% improvement over the week before. New cases declining in 43 states and other states holding steady. The other seven states holding steady. So fantastic news. Roughly 33 million Americans, about 10% of the entire population, have actually tested positive for COVID-19. And right at 600,000 Americans have died from the virus, making it deadlier for Americans than the past 80 years of wars or other armed conflicts combined. And that includes World War II. But positive news, COVID-19 looks to be on its way out of here. and We can't wait for it to be totally out of here. Another positive story, this comes to us from Georgia, and a police officer has bought toothpaste for a homeless man who was brushing his teeth with baking soda prior to the officer seeing this. So a fantastic story from Duluth, and that is just northeast of Atlanta in Fulton County. A police officer from the Duluth Police Department, Officer Corvorsi, bought a toothbrush and toothpaste for this homeless man who told the officer he was living out of his car and couldn't afford essentials like toothpaste. So Officer Cavorsi drove to a store, bought items with his own money, and explained that he would help him out. The man had been forced to brush with baking soda prior to the officer doing this, and it was all caught on camera. What a fantastic story from the Atlanta suburbs there. And one person on social media saying, Police officers have big hearts. So here's a fantastic story that we love to share. A good Southern police officer here 
Officer Cavorsi of the Duluth, Georgia Police Department, helping a homeless person out. Now to Memphis. We told you we had a Memphis story. A family being honored by the Memphis Jewish community for their effort to keep a newspaper going for some nearly 100 years. They themselves have kept it going for 50 years. And this couple, the Goldbergers, Herman and Bobby Goldberger, have been writing, editing, and publishing the Hebrew Watchman from Herman. They got it in 1970, this newspaper from Herman Goldberger's father, and they've kept this newspaper based in Memphis going. It has a circulation of 3,000, reporting the news of the Jewish community in Memphis in the Mid-South and around the world, and an organization called Jewish Community Partners has presented the Goldbergers with round-trip tickets to Israel, a place they've always wanted to go. And now, after their 51 years of covering Jewish news in the Mid-South, this Jewish couple now heading to the Holy Land, all because of this organization, Jewish Community Partners. And I've actually seen a copy of Hebrew Watchmen on a counter at my post office. There was a Jewish man who lived in the town I was in, and I don't know why he didn't take it home with him, but I guess he he liked to litter. And I saw it one day, and I, I scanned through it, and they, the Goldbergers have done a great job there in Memphis with the newspaper Hebrew Watchman, and they're getting a free trip to Israel for the great work they've done keeping the Jewish community informed in Memphis, the Mid-South, and likely there are other Jewish papers in other southern regions. I just know about in the Mid-South, they got it covered at Hebrew Watchmen, and so congratulations to the Goldbergers. And a safe trip. Hopefully things in Israel have settled down a little bit. They've had deaths and more as a little battle here was going on between Israel and the Palestinians. And hopefully the Goldbergers will have a safe and enjoyable trip. And and then they got to get back to Memphis. They can't be taking it easy in Israel too long. They got to get back and cover everything with their newspaper, Hebrew Watchmen, because that's the job of people in the media, like yours truly. We got to cover what's going on in our communities, and that's what the Jewish community of the Mid South looking forward to when their issue of the Hebrew Watchmen comes out. Just don't leave it at that darn post office, y'all. Don't leave it out on the counter. Take it home. But let folks like me the old gentiles of the world learn a little bit about what you got going on i guess it's not secret information so you know you can learn a little bit about the hebrew community thanks to hebrew watchmen that will wrap up our look at headlines here on today's y'all show when we come back we'll wrap up this third hour and this thursday y'all with a look at some great festivals going on across the 16 southern states it's y'all talk with a southern accent hang on Taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, talking on the number and digging on the radio. Just as I crossed the Mississippi line, I heard that highway start to whine, and I knew that left rear tire was about to go. Well, the spare was flat, and I got up tight, because there wasn't a filling station in sight, so I just limped on down the shoulder on the rim. 
I went as far as I could and when I stopped the car, it was right in front of this little bar, kind of a redneck-looking joint called the Dewdrop Inn. Well, I stuffed my hair up under my hat and told the bartender that I had a flat and would he be kind enough to give me change for a one. Don't know if you need to go to the Dew Drop In here this weekend, the first full weekend of the month of June, but CDB, thank you for that. This is the Y'all Show, our final segment here on this Thursday Y'all Show. We have a little plan for you. If you are ready to get out and about in the southeast, we have a listing of festivals and other celebrations going on to make your weekend become oh-so-exciting. And we're excited to tell you about it. Let's start off in Harlan, Kentucky this weekend. It's the Poke Salad Festival. And that's at the Harlan Center on Main Street, taking place now through Saturday. The Poke Salad Festival, Harlan, Kentucky. Independence, Louisiana this weekend. It's the Independence Sicilian Heritage Festival on Railroad Avenue in Independence, Louisiana. That takes place both Friday and Saturday. Get your Sicilian on in Independence, Louisiana. How about the Blueberry Festival? You'll have to travel to Wellborn, Florida, but at the Wellborn Community Association on 8th Avenue here this very weekend, it's the Blueberry Festival. And I'm glad to see blueberries getting their proper credit because here on this show we've told you over the last couple of months about strawberry festivals taking place in many of our southern communities. And now, at least in Wellborn, Florida, you can go and have a delicious blueberry, and be part of the Blueberry Festival of Wellborn, Florida. Way to go there in the Sunshine State. How about Lum and Abner? Do y'all know Lum and Abner? I had to look this one up. Lum and Abner, a festival is happening in Arkansas this very weekend, and it's taking place in Mena, Arkansas, M-E-N-A, Mena, Arkansas, at Jansen Park. It's the Lum and Abner Festival. Now, Lum and Abner were an American radio comedy program created by a couple of guys back in the 1930s, and it ran to 1954. And this Lum and Abner modeled life on the small town of Waters, Arkansas, near where one of the creators, Chester Luck, and both he and Norris Goff grew up in the natural state. And it was a very popular show running from 1931 to 1954. In fact, Waters, Arkansas, which this town was based on, changed its name to Pine Ridge after the show's fictional town, Lum and Abner. How about that? A show on radio, a comedy, influenced a community so much that Waters, Arkansas became Pine Ridge, and that is in Montgomery County southwest of Little Rock. I don't have a population for Pine Ridge, Arkansas. But how about that? Lum and Abner. And they're going to have a festival this weekend in Mena to celebrate this 24-year radio show that some of you out there might actually remember. (laughs) West Virginia this weekend, it's the Renaissance Festival. That is in Lewisburg. It's the West Virginia Renaissance Festival on Midland Trail in Lewisburg, West Virginia here. And this goes on not just this weekend. It carries on throughout the month of June. If you're into the medieval celebrations and stuff, you might want to head on to Lewisburg and check out the 
West Virginia Renaissance Festival in Tuscumbia, Alabama. That's in North Alabama this weekend at the Willie Green Recreation Center. It's the North Alabama African Heritage Festival, and it's got a bunch of events taking place there on East Street in Tuscumbia in the Shoals area. It is the North Alabama African Heritage Festival this very weekend. How about Colleton County in South Carolina? That's in the Low Country, south of Charleston. This weekend in Walterboro, it's the Rice Festival. Rice has a long history around Charleston and Walterboro and other communities in the Low Country. And this weekend, Rice will be celebrated, not the college in Houston, Texas, the food that was grown and may still be grown in the Low Country. I know they grow rice and portions of mississippi and arkansas maybe even tennessee but rice was a big crop grown once upon a time in the low country of south carolina and it's celebrated this weekend with the rice festival in walterboro south carolina humble texas this weekend it's champion zydeco fest at the humble civic center on will clayton parkway get your zydeco on this weekend in humble texas cookville head there to this middle tennessee community at the Putnam County Fairgrounds, this weekend it's the Southern Roots Bluegrass and Arts Festival going on both Friday and Saturday. Bluegrass, Zydeco, oh, we cover it all. African Heritage and more right here on our Festive South of what's going on this weekend festival-wise across the southeast. How about Biloxi? will take you to the Mississippi Coast Coliseum right next to Beauvoir on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. This weekend it's the South Mississippi Summer Fair at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum on Beach Boulevard. A big event. And it actually lasts until the 13th of the month. So maybe you can get a good corn dog or more. And how about a fair in the South? That's something that is certainly a sign that maybe we're getting through all the madness of the pandemic. Also, here this weekend, we've got in National Harbor, Maryland, that is literally a stone's throw from our nation's capital, right on the border with the District of Columbia. It's the Harbor Jazz, Wine, Arts, and Food Festival at Gaylord National Resort there on Waterfront Street in National Harbor, Maryland. Okay, basically it's Washington, D.C., but you could go there and enjoy a little jazz, a little wine, a little art, and, hey, why not throw in a little good food while you're there, all at National Harbor in Maryland. And also this weekend in Oklahoma, it's Discover Oklahoma Wine Festival in Norman, home of the University of Oklahoma, and at the depot in Norman this weekend, it's all about wine. And I know for many of you, that is exactly what you want to hear. What you might not want to hear is that we have come to the end of today's Y'all Show. Thank you so much for being a part. We're going to close it on out of here on Friday with our final show of the week. And I am going to have a special guest host, a fellow that comes in here once a year as he gets out of school. He joins me. It's my son. And he's going to go into the sixth grade next year. And he's supposed to be in with me tomorrow to have fun and celebrate his success of surviving fifth grade. Thanks, y'all.